Welcome to the Simpleton Podcast, the greatest podcast of all time, now streaming on all audio platforms, including those who serve the heavenly host. If you're watching us on YouTube, please consider not looking at us, but listening to our great melodic voices on an <laughs> audio platform. <laughs> we, I have a face that's made for radio. <laughs> Welcome, Laura Heeman. Thank you, Clark Massey. All right. For this episode, we're going to do some housekeeping. There's been some interesting developments happening at Simple House and locally. Uh, then we're going to go into our new congressional hero, Victoria Sparts. Talk about some misunderstandings of our inflation podcast as related to Victoria Sparts' observations. And then we're going to talk about, we're going to have a new section, which could become a, um, a repeat section called Crazy Canada. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll talk about the future of the podcast. And particularly there, we're going to talk about evangelization. If you were to listen to one part of this podcast, please listen to that. We're going to talk about that evangelization has to, in a sense, take a different form than most of us come prepared for. And it's going to have to do with some boss training and kind of that. We're also going to talk about a few ideas about the future of the podcast, about what type of um, topics you'd like to see us work on. Um, and uh, if you listen that long, definitely comment and give us some feedback because we need the feedback. Laura, would you like to start with housekeeping? What is the big development? Sure. Okay. The big development is I almost sort of got a snakehead. You really sold that. You almost yes. caught a fish. <laughs> but the important part is that it was a... Snakehead. But there's another important part, and that is that fishing has long been a part of the simple house culture and Clark um, has always liked to do these um, fishing expeditions with some of our ministry friends and these expeditions have been um, very much loved uh, over the years. From the missionary perspective these trips were kind of traumatic because Clark always wanted to bring all of the gear <laughs> and it was so much gear and you had to pack the canoes on top of the cars and all this stuff. And it was a lot. And so I now prefer to fish sort of like a minimalist and well, I just want stuff that only fits in a little backpack. So the problem was if when you're a shoreline fisherman and you don't mm -hmm. like have a boat, you're stuck with all the other shoreline fishermen and you're basically in kind of a messy area that's <laughs> overfished, right? Yeah. So the goal is to get some form of transportation like a canoe and get away from and get to a shoreline that shoreline fishermen can't get to. Right. This, is, would, this doesn't need, I feel like the, the fact this, well, I have to, I have to go somewhere with this. You want to defend this. Okay. So one time I was out there with a bunch of young men, from the neighborhood, good friends of mine. And we arrive and we're going to do an overnight trip on an island <laughs> in the Potomac. All right. We're north, yeah. we're north of town. So it's the clean part of the Potomac. We're north yeah. of the dam, uh, north of Great Falls rather. Mm -hmm. uh, and we get to this island and we unpack everything and it's dark and the guys are already like, can't believe we've done this. Like they can't <laughs> believe that they've crossed water on a canoe to an island. <laughs> like we, we've probably gone like maybe a quarter mile in the canoe, but it's just like, un and it's yeah. also getting dark. Right. So we got to yeah. like get our camp. And the problem I have is that 
you have to pitch your camp, but it's also like the golden fishing hour. Yeah. Right. And I am yeah. very upset to miss the golden hour, <laughs> you know, cause that's my whole point is to get the yeah. golden hour. Right. Yeah. And we turns out we forgot all the, um, tent, uh, steaks. <laughs> <laughs> and, and these guys are staring at me like I think there's like three of them and they're like never been camping in their life and they're like Clark what are we going to do and I'm like well we're just going to wrap ourselves in the tent and lay like down the, wait do you mean the poles like the poles like I the tent poles, the poles or the stakes but the okay. poles required stakes the type of tent oh, this and like was it, it, yeah it needed to be uh-huh. yeah it wasn't one Staked of these up. like mm-hmm. yeah if, it, if you didn't have stakes it couldn't stand up right mm-hmm and they looked at me like I was the biggest, like, like, like I brought them out there to die, right? <laughs> that we we're just going to wrap ourselves in a tarp and sleep that night out on this island, you know? And then, I, unbelievably so, unbelievably so, they gathered big rock while I'm putting out the fishing poles because I refuse to miss the golden hour. <laughs> they pitched that tent and use rocks. They get big rocks and... And the tent was not right, but it was like good enough that it was like yeah. a room to sleep in. You know, it was yeah. like one of these like 12 person tents. Right. And they, they propped it up with big rocks holding down instead of stakes. And it was like amazing that they like had MacGyvered this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then all night long, it was the best fishing night of my life. And I was really <laughs> like upset because like all night long bells are going off because I have these bells on the fishing poles and we're uh-huh. catching catfish. And so every time a bell goes off, I jump up like I can't believe it and run to a fishing pole. No one else can be bothered. <laughs> so essentially, yeah, essentially no one cares about fishing as much as me, but we had a huge cooler of cool fish. And then in the morning it had rain. It was like raining on us. And I did, your husband, I, my husband went on this trip. Your husband yes. was with us on this trip. And they had not brought anything because I also hadn't told them to bring it. Because as you can tell, this was poorly planned. Uh, they hadn't brought any gear to like go through the rain, and they couldn't believe it. And Ryan took off his coat and gave it oh. to one of these young men. Wow! And they could not believe Ryan did that. It was like <laughs> such an act from the Bible, right? And they go, Ryan, you like the OG Christian. <laughs> Wow. I that never was heard like that story. a very story. high compliment. Yeah, yeah. Ryan doesn't brag about that, but that was a really, yeah. I loved yeah. that statement. Anyway, we got, we got everyone well, home well, and they never wanted to go again. <laughs> if you, if you want to rile the OG Christian up, just ask him about having to, um, deal with, uh, this like fishing pole brack that Clark. It's built. so stupid. Everyone <laughs> hates my fishing gear. <laughs> And it's it's so immature that okay. they have this problem. But anyway, well, let's go listen, on. I'm about to vindicate you. Right, we're, because, we're spending because, way too much time in housekeeping, okay. but keep going. Okay. So now I like to go fishing, and I'll go fishing with my kids, and I just like like everything in a little backpack. Like even the fishing rod. I have like those like telescopic fishing rods, you know, that get very small. And um, so the other day I went to the Bladensburg Marina, which I have taken my children to many times to try to go fishing. And I think I have nearly killed fishing for them there at the Bladensburg Marina. And my toddler was tired of fishing. So we went over to the park and I just threw the line in over the fence near the park. And right away, this big, like fat fish grabbed on that's awesome and it it was enormous and i like couldn't i like couldn't lift the pole out you know because it was so big and then i was like trying to grab 
the line to see if I could lift it that way. And I thought I assumed it was a catfish because it was like this enormous. Right. Fat fish. And um, <laughs> then, you, then it looked you in the eyes. <laughs> it was like, that's that's a weird looking catfish. <laughs> um yeah, uh, but uh, there was a guy fishing down on the other end of the marina who had told me that he'd seen guys catch snakeheads there. And I was like, this is a snakehead. Um, and so then I ran down to the other side of the marina to have him come help me. Uh, and what we really needed was a net. And alas. Oh, wow. So everything I did not worked. have a net. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. it wasn't just that you had poor poundage line or something like that. You just didn't have a net to pull it in. I mean, I had, I had like the dinkiest little fishing pole you could I know, use, but right? It didn't, it didn't, it didn't snap the pole. get away. Yeah. Right? Oh no, and no. It was, so, it was, I was able to like kind of, um, well, it fight, it, it kind of, yeah. I don't know. Well, we the need way to somehow to explain to people the significance of catching a snakehead. Yes. Okay. So if you don't know about snakeheads in the early two thousands, um, somebody found one, um, like in Crofton, I think, um, near the bay. And there was this like huge freak out because it's like this invasive, very aggressive species of fish. And it was going to call like come and invade and kill the whole like Chesapeake ecosystem. Let me say where this comes from though. Mm -hmm. It's an aquarium fish and it's an eaten fish, right? Yes. And it's, it's a good type eating, of fish yeah. that like, it's like an Asian eating fish. So yeah. But like, it's the type of fish that if you have an aquarium, you'd put like goldfish in it, it would just go bum, 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 and they'd all be gone and it can eat like an amazing amount. You yeah. Know? And so the problem was, is that somebody, enough people had released snakeheads from their aquarium that a breeding population got established. And when that was recognized, people went crazy. Well, but let me tell you this about snakeheads. They can crawl on land. <laughs> and they have like another like they breathe through their gills in the water like normal fish but they also can like gulp air through their mouths and they can survive on land for like four days so it's like you, you could it, find so a snakehead in a little pond but that didn't mean it was limited to that little pond because it could crawl out of that pond into the neighboring that is so pond crazy. yeah and we have to add so they're they crawl they also have like crazy teeth just like little jaggedy teeth. <laughs> well, I mean, there's nothing else in our, like the bass don't have those teeth. The, yeah. the, um, uh, I mean, the uh, yeah. catfish don't have the teeth. The closest thing we'd have, it'd be like a northern pike, which yeah. you guys don't even have in those your guys area. Have or a musky. Teeth. Yeah. They have pretty good teeth, but the snake yeah. had have teeth like that. Yeah. 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 So in the in the early 2000s, there were like uh, multiple B movies that came out. Um about snakeheads like eating up all the people you know and so that was an exciting time for b movies um the snakehead terror is the one that yeah comes so to the mind. snakehead yeah. terror which was also <laughs> in the media at the time now has gotten to the point that you're just catching snakeheads in your local pond all right let's get moving what's else in, uh... okay um all right so abigail schreier has written a new book and it is called bad therapy why the kids aren't growing up and the book deals with a question I've been kind of mulling over my head. Um, and she says, a single question motivates bad therapy. Why does a generation that received the most therapy, the most mental health diagnoses, and the most psychiatric medication also have the worst mental health? How did a generation raised so gently come to believe it had experienced debilitating trauma? 
And when faced with tasks teenagers a generation ago handled with ease, why are so many of today's young people fit falling apart? Uh, so um, she did um, hours and hours and hours of interviews, and she concluded that um, a big part of the problem are the experts, like the mental health experts, um, psychologists, psychiatrists, etc. So instead of it being environmental or a parenting yeah. problem, she actually thinks the profession of mental health could be causing a mental health problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is interesting, partly because we've wanted to talk to mental health professionals on this podcast, and we've thought about inviting a practitioner, and we thought about inviting a professor. And in each time, it kind of got to the point where we weren't sure we could do it because we were going to put them in an unfair situation. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> I kind of want to pick their field apart a little bit. <laughs> right. And they kind of had a strong incentive to not allow that to happen. Although yeah. their expertise would be valuable. And I think we could learn yeah, they, a lot. I think they, the practitioner had a lot of interesting insights that might, you know, be interesting to talk about, but not in the <laughs> context of is the mental health field. Right. And the other issue is I'm kind of interested in mental health because um, there's like the professional side of it where the mm -hmm. practitioner is and it's taught yeah. in the university setting, you know, but then there's just pop psychology. Yeah. Right. Like, I think we all know that we've been in conversations where we're like diagnosing each other or someone's talking about without any like real psychologist being involved, something that happened to them as a child that caused this X, Y, Z mm -hmm. in their life. And mm -hmm. it's this kind of like amateur psychology happening. Right. Yeah. And I'm as interested in that as I am interested in real psychology. Yeah. Because I find this pop psychology very influential to, in people's lives. Yeah. And I, I think the pop psychology is coming from like psychology, psychology, you know? Like yeah. I worry though that like, I, I see so much irresponsibleness and kind of the pop psychology. Yeah. And I just don't know that I can blame that on the practitioners, you know, like here's yeah. an example, like, um, like we're supposed to honor our father and mother. Right. But you'll see people just in conversations trying to understand themselves Seeking yeah, based on how toxic their parents are crucifying their parents, you know, speaking very poorly of them. Yeah. And I'm not saying that parents are perfect or anything, but yeah. it seems like we're almost like baiting people into breaking one of the 10 commandments um, and excommunicating their parents through psychology. Yeah. You know, and I don't know that a practitioner would or wouldn't do that in a session, or maybe there's some that do and some that don't, you know? Yeah. But I do know that happens in pop psychology all the time. Yeah. I I have the impression that that does happen, um, not from having witnessed it myself, but from articles that I've read. Um, and I, I remember reading an article this summer where this um, woman had kind of made some breakthroughs in understanding herself, you know, um, with a psychologist and some of her history and putting some of those puzzle pieces together and um, but had to stop going to the psychologist because she realized it was like kind of a limited view that the the view that the psychologist was giving her is like you're broken because you're a victim, you know, and she couldn't get out of the there, there's no way. To, the word is in my brain in Spanish. Um, I don't know to overcome. Uh, you know to overcome that because to that's just like yeah, yeah, like that's the role you have in this story. I, um, one of the things that our ministry does is we're always dealing with um, addicts, 
Mm -hmm. Right. And addicts being like a subset of the types of mental illness and problems you can have. Right. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the people we work with have been through trauma bigger than most people. Like mm -hmm. Murders. Yes. Um, like abuse, like crazy abuse. Real um, criminal behavior. Not, yeah. you know, harsh words. Right. And the truth is that if you're with the addict and they want to talk about all the reasons why they think they're an addict, uh, they could be a hundred percent right, but you're in a very, um, you're in like a useless conversation. Yeah. Right. The only people I've ever met who've gotten better have taken radical personal ownership of their problem yeah. and started from that point. Yeah. Right. Sometimes knowing the cause of the problem does not help you get this to the solution of the problem. Yeah. Right. And so somehow like with addiction, it's like only through saying the buck stops with you. Mm -hmm. Do you actually get to a solution? Blaming parents does not help you. It almost becomes like an aid and abetting to continuing the addiction. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I um, went to a therapist, a psychologist, like in my mid 20s, and it was like a really helpful, important <laughs> thing for my life. And I was like initially extremely surprised. Like I thought we were going to get into my whole, you know, past story, family background or whatever. He had like almost no interest in that, you know, like it was like very just cursory overview of that. And then like, okay, here are tools you can use, you know, to kind of better your thinking. And it's, it was like cognitive behavioral therapy or a version of it. And it was like a tool for me to be able to like improve my thoughts and my thinking and my attitude and my reaction to things that happen to me. Right. Not like, um, a picking apart the external things and showing how bad they were. It was like, well, how do I, you know, so he gave yeah. you a tool set yeah. that you could then use, which right? is like and that's continues useful. to be useful to the, yeah. To this day. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, that seems like a great, you know, testament to the value of it. It's hard to have these conversations about the critiques and the potential, I, those ideas with a professional in the field. And that's where we've kind of gotten stuck. And yeah. the other issue that I want to talk about is at, at Symbol House, we've talked a lot about the spiritual aspect of poverty and of um, social problems. And because yeah. it is there, you mm -hmm. know, these things are intertwined, right? Yeah. And in psychology, they're even more intertwined. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's very difficult to have a conversation where you're talking about the supernatural and the psychological, but you almost have to. Like if you're really yeah. going to tackle someone's well-being, you almost have to have the spiritual and the psychological intertwined. Yeah. You know? And I also think as far as this pop psychology goes, in my mind, there's been kind of like three types of um, spiritual direction I've seen. Two bad, one good. So one of the bad ones was. I've met guys who've come out of like a decade of spiritual direction and say, I quit my spiritual director because I realized what we were really doing was just amateur therapy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like the spiritual director thought that spiritual direction was using pop psychology on someone. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, not non-professionally. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I've also seen bad spiritual direction where the spiritual life is kind of treated as if it were a recipe. Mm -hmm. Right. Which I think is also Frankly, that's kind of okay for like someone who's just entering spiritual direction for a minute and mm -hmm. good spiritual direction. I actually can never put in a box. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I can't explain what good spiritual direction is, but I know those other two ways are not good, you know? Yeah. Um, well, good. So that's the difficulty we've had with this. What else we got? What else we got is Simple House. All right. Simple House started as a little bit of a detox from the world. Like there's this monastic element of Simple House. Where we're trying to keep these houses very simple, simple foods, simple decor, um, wood burning stove in one of the houses, kind of like a monastic cell type experience, you know, a good place for prayer of mm-hmm. like a, with some austerity, no distractions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, early on it was important not to have a TV at this point. Many people don't have TVs because your laptop yeah. is a TV, right? Yeah. And another issue was we didn't want to have internet, you know, for pretty obvious reasons or alcohol, right? So over the years, though, um, since Simbos formed in 2003, smartphones have arisen, right? Mm-hmm. And it kind of became difficult or impossible to keep the internet out, you know, like unless you're going to take away someone's phone. Right. All right. This has now gotten to the point, and I've tried multiple strategies now to correct this, that all new missionaries at Simple House are getting flip phones. Starting next year. Starting next year. This yeah. year it's optional. Next year it's mandatory. And it's interesting. When I when I offer a missionary a flip phone, I go, hey, how about you give up your phone and I'll give you a, a free flip phone, uh, like a uh-huh. dumb phone? And they go, oh, man, I, I, no, I don't think I want to do it. And I go... I think I'm about I'm going to make it mandatory. They go, oh, that's so cool. I'm in. <laughs> so anyway, we researched dumb phones. A shout out to, um, so we actually had some missionaries who already realized this was a problem. They went out and found their own dumb phone. Uh, it was by Sunbeam Media, um, which is a company in rural Missouri founded by Mennonites who make dumb phones for. Wait, Missouri? Oh. Yeah, Missouri. You said, oh, okay. Yeah, it's a small town up near Iowa in Missouri that this little phone company started. And all they do is the hardware. They they sell just the the dumb phone. Right now, what's kind of cool about Sunbeam's phones is uh, it has mapping. It has text messages. It has a camera and has this. But it kind of keeps you from doing the other things. You can even pay to get voice to text, you know, Um, and they will not sell a cellular plan. But the phone's unlocked to be used on any cellular plan. Okay, so. That's our future. That's our solution to the problem. We're all going to get on Sunbeam Media. That's going to be the official Simple House phone. Cool. Cool. That's exciting. Yeah. I think this is going to be a selling point. We're actually going to kind of show it at the Focus Conference this year. Yeah. And I think it's going to be attractive to people. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Awesome. Ready for the next segment? Yes. Okay. Okay, a congressperson I've never heard of. She is a representative from Indiana named Victoria Sparts. And she briefly was on the leading news and then before the end of the day was dropped from the leading news and you almost got to wonder if she's being censored a little bit. <laughs> so what what is her statement? Okay, she said, I've done many very difficult things, being one woman standing many times with many very long hours and personal sacrifices but there is a limitation to human capacity. If Congress does not pass a debt commission this year to move the needle on the crushing national debt and inflation, at least at the next debt ceiling increase at the end of 2024, 
I will not continue sacrificing my children for this circus with a complete absence of leadership, vision, and spine. I cannot save this republic alone. She also said, The debt is a very important national security issue, but unfortunately, Republicans didn't have the backbone to put it forward. All right. I love this. And this is very related to that inflation podcast we did where we're like, look, the debt has gone past a tipping point. The only solution would be like austerity measures or we're just going to all suffer this enormous inflation period, you know, while they print away the debt. Mm -hmm. This is the first person I've seen in mainstream politics who's going to war on it and is like, it's either we solve this or I quit, you know? Yeah. And I kind of think that that's the right attitude because I, I kind of think like even for us, you know, like we can't solve it. Yeah. And she can't solve it, frankly, either, you know, without a lot of help. It's almost like you have to just be like, OK, if this is not solvable, go back to what's important, which is your family and figure out how to get your family through this. Yeah. You know, um, my immediate reaction was that like this lady's really manning up. <laughs> Which is so, which just struck me as funny because it's like in the 90s, if you'd be like, all right, this woman's really, you know, being man, you know, like taking this yeah. thing, it would be like an affront to all the men that they need to be as brave as this woman is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What are your thoughts yeah. on this? Well, I don't know. It's interesting you say, like, she can't solve this problem. We can't solve this problem. But it's, I mean, she obviously cannot solve it alone, but. Ooh, who's going who's to solve this problem? <laughs> well, it's, you know? it's going to take like a group of people. Yeah. And it's going to it's going to have to be the legislature, probably with the cooperation of the president. Yeah. You know, and they're going to have to take it very seriously. And she's taking it so seriously. She's willing to end her political career on it. Yeah. You know, and it's going to take a lot of people surrounding someone like that. You know, yeah. And what it reminds me of is like I've often thought that I'm like a two percenter. Like if there's a hundred people and a lie is being said, I'm not the one in a hundred person who will stand up to the lie. But as You're soon as someone, two. yeah, I'm, I'm the second guy. <laughs> <laughs> if, if someone's brave enough to oppose ninety nine, I'll be like, I'll, I'm with that guy. I'll die with that guy. But like I'm not. I'm not the first You're guy. Not and die this alone. woman yeah. is like the one percenter. She's yeah. like the ones putting her neck out and saying. This is it, right? Yeah. And immediately it got media coverage and then it immediately got kind of canceled out of the media coverage as far as I could tell, as far as like um, headline time, you know, headlines you were going to see. I had this like epiphany um, this past year. Like, it's like, I feel like I have a very full plate. Most moms feel like this, right? Like, um, and, and I was like, Ryan, we have to stop like wasting our energy on stuff that we think is stupid you know right because there are like things that it's like i'm saying up for this because i really believe in it and then there's things like i committed to this stupid thing i don't want to be doing it i don't believe in it you know why am i sacrificing you know time away from my kids or sleep or whatever and i feel like that's she's like if we're not actually doing anything if it's just a circus why am i doing this Right. And that also means that like she really does. Oh, by the way, the other interesting thing about her is she's uh, born in Ukraine. And oh. <laughs> part of the huge push here is like you're not going to be giving money to Ukraine if you're addressing the national debt. Yeah. And so it's just interesting that someone born in Ukraine is taking that stance. Mm -hmm. um, it, she's not there to just have a nice political career. She's not there to be known as a, um, 
you know, just to be known as a Congress member. Yeah. Right. She's there to either fix a problem or she'll just go home and that's okay too. Go do something she believes in. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's right. You know, and I think for, for the rest of us, there's kind of this question of like, well, you know, voting's not asking much of us, you know, we can just go do that. But, um, are you to like spend some energy trying to quote, like fix the nation or what's kind of become the empire? Or are you just going to make sure that your family can um, surf the problems that are going to come as the empire starts falling apart? Yeah. You know, Um, and it's more rational, unfortunately, to just position yourself so that you're in a good spot. Mm -hmm. Where are you actually useful? Where are you actually able to affect change? You know, (laughs) Um, and, and we can waste a lot of energy on stuff that is not that. Right. And I, I kind of, anyway, I love her statement because it kind of is illustrating both things that this is an enormous problem. We have to stand up to it. Yeah. And then also, if you guys aren't going to do it, I'm going to go home. Yeah. <laughs> go get my house in order. <laughs> right. Um, the other thing that's interesting about that inflation podcast is the same argument keeps coming up over and over again. I keep meeting it. Um, with smart people. And the argument is this, and this will kind of go against the overarching argument of my inflation podcast, but the argument is, look, the fed sets rates, the fed sets rates to help the economy to either fight inflation or spur growth. Um, we probably could be going into a recession in the next couple of years due to these high interest rates. And therefore the fed will cut the rates. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's the, almost the complete, inflation interest rate analysis I'm hearing just from most people, you know, and so I would like to address that a little bit, but part of the thing is they have this idea that the fed sets the rate. Yeah. Right. That's not really true. There's something that's like a capital market for loans that sets rates. Like a lot of contracts are written on a LIBOR, which is the London interbank mm. something rate, you know, and there's an international capital market that also sets rates, right? And the Fed is very influential in that capital market. They're kind of the Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is the oil. The Fed is to the capital market. But the Fed is kind of getting to the point where its influence is waning because they're going to have to start printing currency to get rid of the debt. Mm-hmm. And that's going to decrease their power to actually set the rate. So... Anyway, I it, I just wanted to throw that out there because that's the leading argument I'm hearing people make, and I just don't think it makes sense. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, okay. So we just did our debt doom section. How about we talk about crazy Canada? <laughs> Remember when people wanted to move to Canada anytime anything bad happened here? Yes. Whenever we were not sufficiently enlightened, the Canadian utopia was always there for us. Yes, a peaceful, logical place where people were kind and didn't shoot each other. Right. It also seems to be a culture that has some pretty different values than us. Yeah. The most recent thing that happened is they've decided to start regulating podcasts, which is an interesting take on freedom of speech. Yeah. They're going to say that if you're running some type of podcasting platform in Canada, you have to have so much indigenous voices on your platform and you have to have like, Voices they don't like essentially off your platform and have it in certain ratios. I don't know that we'll be broadcasting in Canada for much longer. Not that that's a huge <laughs> part of our listening audience. Yes. But it was part of our listening audience. Yes. Oh, it was? We have, fr- you have <laughs> well, some friends, friends at Madonna House. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, the other thing that's been interesting about Canada 
has been like kind of, well, the COVID stuff, but particularly the shutdown of religious services there to the mm-hmm. point that they were willing to arrest priests celebrating mass, you know? Yeah. That's pretty draconian. Yeah. I, I mean, the COVID shutdowns were extreme, I think, parts of Canada and, and dragged on a lot longer than here. Definitely the videos of what the police yeah. were doing in Canada were way worse than the U.S. Yeah. Um, there's also this, like, the trucker convoy issue. So then the way they treated the truckers at the end of the trucker convoy, those guys are still facing charges yeah. for a civil disobedience protest, um, facing many years in jail for civil disobedience and being called Nazis. Yes. Yeah. And th- there's kind of like a weird... I don't know if it's like double speak or what it is, but it's like Justin Trudeau started calling them Nazis after uh, there were some pictures where I think guys were holding up like a sign with a swastika. Like, I don't know if it was like next to Justin Trudeau's face, you know, but so he started calling them the guys with the swastikas, you know. Um, Right. And they were trying to call Justin Trudeau the guy with the swastika. Right. They're trying to call Justin Trudeau a Nazi. But then the way it gets reported by the media is that they are Nazis. But now it's like Justin Trudeau is like all these guys are evil supremacist Nazis. You know, meanwhile, Zelensky comes to town and he has like a literal Nazi (laughs) honored because he fought Russia in World War Two. Right. So it's so it's so interesting. It's also interesting just. um. I want to talk about freedom of speech a little bit more, but also the um, the whole idea of Nazis is interesting because, like in America, Nazis are boogeymen. They're someone yeah. that you like don't really see, but they apparently exist, and they're threatening us, right? But the but the when you when you invoke the boogeyman, it's like can be a way to f- suppress freedom of speech. Well, hundred percent. Like right. they need the Nazis to exist. That's yeah. why they're kind of yeah. the boogeyman, right? But like in Europe, Nazis are actually a real phenomena that has a political force yeah. to it, you yeah. know? And particularly yeah. in Ukraine, they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, anything we say against, you know, the war in Ukraine or, or throw shade on Ukraine is in no way supporting Putin. Yeah. You know, I mean, Putin can be a bad guy and Ukraine can be a bad guy and they can all be bad guys. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird when you see people lionize Putin as a good guy because they're against the war in Ukraine. It's just a weird reaction. Right. Yeah. I guess I wouldn't also uh, characterize it as Ukraine is a bad guy and Putin's a bad guy. Right. <laughs> right. But yeah. Um, right. There's a corrupt situation happening. There's a corrupt <laughs> situation. And I feel like it's like unclear who who. A part of the problem is like, who are all the corrupt players in this has been unclear and they extend beyond Ukraine. Yes. And part of what's been kind of, you know, kind of go back to the debt section and Ukraine spending is I was under the impression we were buying Ukraine bullets. We're like, we're like funding their small businesses and keeping their doors open and yeah. And their social workers and their government. We're literally just paying their government salaries. Right. Yeah. Which is amazing that we can afford to do that and not you know, fix problems here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, the other thing that's going on with freedom of speech is, you know, not only has Canada got these, we, we think of Canada and the UK as maybe the two countries, maybe Australia as countries that are similar to the U S right. Mm-hmm. But the UK last year apparently charged or imprisoned 3000 people with crimes on social media. And the crimes were not instigating violence. They were just, um, saying things that were either politically charged against like a protected class or a hateful statement. Yeah. Wow. You know, and 
they're not doing any of these charges against important thinkers, like people who have some gravitas who could come back okay. at the establishment, or like, like um, yeah, the Douglas resources. Murrays of the world. Yeah. yeah. Who, who, you know, if you charged him with some type of um, censorship or you tried to censor him, he would come at you hard, you know, they're doing it against small people. Yeah. You know, people like maybe at our level, you yeah. know, which is, I don't know. I mean, in a way, like I hear Americans say every day, look how divided we are. Look how much um, disagreement there is. Look how much bad rhetoric there is on both sides. Right. And I'm like, yeah, but I almost wonder if that's the way freedom of speech works. That like when you have a major problem, which I believe we're in a major problem, that it gets really hot before it comes to a conclusion. Yeah. You know, and that this is not like a reason to censor speech. You know, yeah. this is actually the, the functioning of a free speech marketplace. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Switching gears to the future of the Simpleton podcast. All right. We have um, some ideas. We have one major idea we want to float out there to get feedback on. If you've been listening this long, you definitely are a listener. <laughs> and we would love for you to send us some form of message. It could be a comment on one of the platforms, or you could just email us at asimplehouse at gmail.com. Um, we were getting ready to start a podcast that we had second thoughts about that was like, should we try to wade into all of these weird abuses of the justice system? Mm-hmm. Right. And like kind of look at the charges against Trump, the Whitmer kidnapping, uh, abuses of the IRS and the whistleblowers at the IRS Hunter um, what, Biden. Hunter Biden's treatment, yeah. you know. Um, what what else were we going to talk about? The, the FBI Twitter files. Right. In a sense, to give a report card on whether or not the Justice Department and the justice system has gone essentially full-blown political and lost its, you know, real proper nature, you know? Yeah. Now, in a way, why would you want Catholic commentators like Laura and I, who, mm-hmm. you know, run a little ministry to ever want to comment on that. Mm-hmm. I have two thoughts on it. Like one is that like when we got interested in AI, people found it useful because they just didn't have the time to sort through it. Yeah. You know, and it was worth sorting through and worth building conclusions on. But, you know, people, somebody needed to go read all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. So we'd be kind of doing a little service like that, that people might find useful. The other reason is, is like we are an out group as Catholics. You know, we are a threat in a way to certain ideologies, you know, and and throughout history, this has happened and throughout history has gotten real ugly, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and even like in the church sex abuse crisis, there's a lot of that that's justified. And there's a lot of that that was a political hit job, you know, meaning that like we often have expressed that they didn't go after other equally guilty parties. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. If. The justice system is failing, you know, like many justice systems of many countries in the whole world that have lost their partiality, you know, become very partial and biased and things like this. Yeah. That's a useful thing to know if you're a Catholic, you know, what you could expect and the treatment you could expect, because that's going to drive your behavior and drive your strategy. You know, we even could have an expert guest on this if we wanted to. Mm. I met one of your friends out in D.C. who'd be a good guest. I don't know. Well, once again, we could have that conflict of interest problem that like if you're a field of psychology, you can't go around bashing the field of psychology or you're hurting Mm -hmm. your own career. 
there might be problems with a lawyer coming out and saying that, you know, <laughs> that the justice system in the U.S. is hopelessly broken and then going into court and trying to win a case, you know, um, that'd be interesting to know, though. So please give us feedback if you want us to go down that road. Yeah. Um, kind of part of our State of the Union type address that we've been working on here. So. All right. Okay. The last thing. This is where we're getting back to the core of the podcast again. <laughs> you know that we like, or and I talk about current events. A lot of this podcast was just that and snakeheads. But evangelization is a huge part of Simple House. How you serve the poor is a huge part of Simple House. Those are the two core things, you know. Along that, I, maybe another core thing would just be developing people's spiritual lives, you know. Um, and what Simple House has been doing every year when we get this new crop of missionaries coming in in August is we have this training. And it often takes a couple years of training. Like missionaries who stay on for a couple years are the ones who get the most out of it. They just hear it the second time and it finally hits, right? Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to do there is get people from wherever they're coming from, which is some attitude they came with, to a different framing, mm -hmm. you know, towards the issues of God and religion and love and evangelization. Mm -hmm. Right. So in a way, like if you even like test your own ideas of religion against the words of Christ. Right. Yeah. If you think religion is about spreading theology or the catechism or about the church running such and such a way or liturgy or what. And then you just look at the words of Christ that he came with. It's like, that's just not what they're about. Yeah. Right? He's actually trying to make people break through into a new way of spiritually operating and thinking about their lives and their thankfulness and their God and their personal relationship. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's not that these other things aren't important, but they're not the core. Yeah. I, well, I feel like people come here and if you have these other ideas like kind of too deeply entrenched, you will just break <laughs> right. and people do. And it's like kind of a good thing. Right. Like you said, the word breakthrough, but there's I like guess, the breaking part. Yeah. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is that Jesus is a reframer, mm -hmm. right? Like when he's doing the sermon on the Mount is such a strange sermon. Yeah. You know, he's not just saying, Hey, follow the 10 commandments or this is, right. these are the sacraments that you need to be doing. It's this really strange sermon where he's trying to get people into a whole different vision of reality, right? Of reevaluating their values, right? Yeah. And I think that that's the ultimate persuasion is not actually winning a logical argument, that that's not right. how most people are persuaded. It's by reframing the way they think about things, like giving them that new tool set, like the cognitive behavioral therapy gives you a new tool set in which to view your own thoughts and work on. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And those are the most impactful things. It's not that you just prove to someone logically something's true. You actually reframe the problem, right? Yeah. So with evangelization, what we find is people walk in our door with different like attitudes towards evangelization that are almost like their presumption of what it is and why they came. Like one would be, I believe in radical conversion. I want to like evangelize people. So they have this like conversion. So I'm like talking to some guy who's addicted to crack and he's going to like fall over and convert and not be addicted to crack. For some reason, that idea is like in the water that people think that, right? Other people think that I know what it is to be a good moral person or a good worshipful person who takes sacraments, like in a sense, like does these rules and this like idea. And I'm going to get as many other people there as possible. Yeah. Right. 
Another idea would be that it's all about heaven and hell. I need to save these people from hell and bring them to heaven. Yeah. Right. So those three attitudes are kind of like evangelization attitudes that you can have. Yeah. None of those attitudes really fit with the words of Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, so the point is, is somehow not only do we want to give someone a tool set for evangelization and the simple house training, we have to break their minds into a whole new way of thinking about what the purpose is. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about this. Uh, I think this evangelization thing will be the interesting thing. And that's what we should spend time on in the podcast. But I was also thinking this about like church, right? Like say some things about that. We think about church, like the Catholic church, right? You tend to think of it as um, a great hierarchical structure. Yeah. You know, you tend to think of it as uh, the thing that should be like the best thing in the world. It's the bride of Christ. It's the body yeah. of Christ. Right. And that would lead you to think that it should be really great, that it won't have problems, that blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, and the hierarchical structure would not make you think that it's like this interesting ecosystem of like grassroots organizations and little old ladies and you know, like you think of it as like a top down thing that's going to be yeah. ruling as opposed to this like unbelievable, like ecosystem of Christ and the salt mm -hmm. of the earth and yeast. Right. But if you were to actually just go back to the beginning and say, what is the most rational way to view church? Um, I think you'd have to think, well, who killed Christ? Wasn't the Romans, the powerful of the day. It wasn't the poor and the rabble. It was the Sadducees and the Pharisees. It was the church of the day killed Christ, right? Um, they killed Christ because he kind of broke them. Yeah. Right. He was so loving and had such a loving message of God that it was more loving than they had built their religion to accommodate. Right. And it was easier to try to get rid of him and hope it wasn't true than to engage him. And that's why they killed him. Right. And he's coming even to the point he's forgiving those people, right? And then what would be the next thing you'd think about church? You'd think about the Acts of the Apostles. You'd think about the letters Paul wrote to all the churches where all these churches are having problems. And then you could also look at the book of Revelation where it like St. John like highlights the seven churches and they all have like, he says two bad things and one good thing about each one. And when, yeah. as a reader, you read it and you go, damn, every time he says the bad things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's like, if that was where you came from thinking about church, you'd expect our church to have a lot of problems. Yeah. You know, none of this would be surprising. Um, an unjust firing or someone paying, playing petty politics wouldn't be like shocking in a sense. That would just be your like priors. Yeah. Right. You know, but it's still holy. Is still perfect. Yeah. It still is the bride of Christ. It still is the body of Christ. And that's where, in a sense, like the reframing needs to happen and all the work is, you know? So anyway, that's where we're thinking about going with this podcast is kind of going through the simple house training a little bit on evangelization. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I love the manual. So. Like subscribe, comment, particularly if you're a YouTube person, because that's our main like getter of new listeners. Um, but if you are listening, if you are on YouTube, please consider listening to us on audio platforms while you're driving around. Hey, I found <laughs> one more thing I want to mention. I found out that like in the 19th century, when people had really boring factory jobs, mm -hmm. the factory workers would get around and interview people to become readers. 
and the factory workers would chip in a few cents a month each and hire a guy to read the newspaper while they worked or read like Moby Dick or classics. Wow. And there's pictures of these like professional readers and they're known <laughs> for like being like, you know, the more entertaining you can be yeah. and help the day go by the better. Yeah. And that was a real profession until, Oh, uh, that's cool. Yeah. Until radio. So before yeah. there was audiobooks and before there was podcasts, audio were, person. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you had to hire a guy to talk to you while you worked. Yeah. <laughs> All right. God bless. Talk to you later. All right. See ya. Bye. All right. Peace out. Bye.